Wasn't it a yummy morning tea? Who made that chocolate with the peppermint? No one? It just magically appeared. Who made it? Who, where's Jess? We need to bottle that person and take them with us everywhere. It's divine, wasn't it? <gasps> Yum, I could have eaten everything on the plate. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't. There's some for all of you this afternoon. <laughs> all right, well, um, let's pray and uh, see if we can have enough energy to get through to lunch uh, with this next uh, part of the passage. Dear Father, thank you for a beautiful morning tea. Thank you that we live in a country where things are bountiful for us. Uh, we thank you for the many good things you've created, but most of all, we thank you for Jesus and thank you for his word to us. We thank you that the discussion groups seem to have gone well this morning. We pray that you might feed us again now through your word. Thank you that you have spoken and you haven't left us in the dark. And we do pray that we might have hungry hearts, hungry minds, willing to be taught by you, uh, willing to be loved by you, and uh, willing even to change our mind on things that we've always believed, but where the word challenges us to change our thinking and even our behaviour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I say this at least 12 times a day. In fact, probably, you know, 12 times a morning, I say to one of my four children, have you got everything you need? Have you got your school bag? Have you got your bus pass? Have you got your library book and your reader? Have you got your homework? Have you got your news? Have you got your clothes on? Have you got your hat? Have you got your music books? Have you got your lunchbox? Did you remember your head? Have you got everything you need? And yet years and years of repeatedly asking the same question to every child, it's amazing how often it happens. Halfway down the driveway, oh, I forgot my lunchbox. When we head off on more than just one day's journey, it's worse. Say we're heading off to the church weekend away. So my husband writes on a blackboard in the dining room a list of everything they're going to need, five undies, you know, and we make every child check and double check the list because when there's four of them, like I don't want to do all the packing for them, right? And then when they think they're ready, we march them out one by one, get them to stand in front of the list and check that they've all got it, right? Still, somehow, we usually manage to forget something, like we'll have a child who has no shirts for the whole week when we're on holidays. I definitely packed them in my bag. Someone must have taken them out. <laughs> oh, yes, that infamous shirt stealer, I say, who comes and takes things out of your bags and puts them back in the cupboard. Of course, it's not just the children who do this in my family. I am hopeless at times at remembering to bring everything that I need, my wallets, my keys, my sunglasses, the right clothes, any paperwork I need. It's so easy, isn't it, to forget something. In fact, I've had to work a system where I put everything that I need in one place, right? One place, and it's sacred. No one is allowed to touch anything in that place, right? So I put my handbag and everything that I need for the next day. And the moment I forget to put anything there, I forget it. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I think of something I need to take with me, and I know that I will forget when I wake up. So I have to get up, no matter what time of the night it is, and go and put it in that spot, just so that then I can sleep. Have you got everything you need? It is the continual question of my life. Now, 
In our first talk this morning, we learned that Christ is all. Uh, remember that in this creation and the next, uh, Jesus is supreme. And so Paul's message to the Colossians is stick with Jesus and don't move. Why? Well, because Jesus can make us blameless before God. And why would you try and rely on anything else? Why would you try and change the message? Stay where you are. Now, the Colossians needed to hear this because remember I said in chapter 2, you can read it for yourself, there were people trying to undermine the supremacy of Jesus. They were saying that the Colossian church hadn't been told the full story. They were saying that Epaphras, well, you know, he'd done a good job, but he'd left out some vital information. In other words, they were trying to say, yes, it's good to rely on Jesus, but that's just the beginning. It's not enough. To be a proper, first-class, fully-fledged Christian, you also have to follow certain rules and ceremonies. And as I said in the first talk, Paul brings all of this out in chapter 2. And so, as we head into chapter 2, that's the problem that Paul now addresses. And he wants them to understand that the gospel the Colossians received is everything that they need. The stuff that they've been hearing from other people isn't the real thing. The gospel, which can make you blameless before God, it's the same gospel that you received when Epaphras told you. It's the same gospel that every other church has heard and believed. And it's the same gospel that I, Paul, am preaching. So halfway through verse 23, we're going to pick it up. Remember we heard, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The Colossians need to remember that the gospel they received, it's the full and complete gospel. It lacks nothing. It's the word of God in its fullness. Now you think about that. It's why Paul is happy to suffer for the gospel. He's happy to suffer to get the gospel out to other people. I mean, you think about Paul's life. He spent his life telling people about Jesus and what did he get for it? He got beaten up, got stoned, got whipped, he got tortured and eventually he was murdered, executed for the message that he was telling people about Jesus. In fact, he even wrote this letter while he was in prison. But he's happy to suffer to get the message of Jesus out to people. And he uses a bit of a strange expression. He talks about what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, the word affliction, sufferings. Let's have a think about that. The false teachers in Colossae were saying that Christ's suffering, Christ's suffering being a shorthand way of talking about the cross, that Christ's suffering is inadequate to make us fully-fledged, complete Christians. And so Paul is actually a very clever writer. He makes a bit of a play on that. 
And he says, well, okay, let's just take your argument. Maybe there's a bit of lack in Christ's sufferings. But actually, not in terms of making you a fully-fledged Christian, not in terms of paying the price for your sin, but in terms of getting the message to you. See, what he's saying is there is more suffering needed, but it's not suffering by Jesus that's needed. The suffering that's needed is that Epaphras and I, Paul, need to suffer for the gospel. We suffer telling people like you, Colossians, the true message about Jesus. And Paul says, I'm completely okay with that because it's more than worth it. So verse 24, now I rejoice. Did you hear that word? Rejoice. What does he rejoice in? In what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to cross afflictions. Do you hear the phrase? For the sake of his body, which is the church. What's Paul saying? He's saying he's happy to suffer for the message that the Colossians have received because it's the real thing. And they can be sure it's the real thing because God commissioned Paul to tell people the whole story, the full message. Verse 25, I have become its servant, the gospel message servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. What's Paul saying? He's saying, yes, I'm happy to add to the afflictions of Christ to suffer for the message because I want that message to be the full message that you get and it's worth it. And this message, here's the thing we need to remember. It was a mystery. It was a mystery, but now it's been disclosed. You think about it. Until Jesus came, no one knew exactly what would happen. We had predictions in the Old Testament, the suffering servant and so on, but no one knew exactly who this person would be. It was a mystery. No one knew that the king of the universe would come to suffer and die by the people he created. Why? So the people could be put in a right relationship with God. No one knew that Christ, Jesus, would offer us the sure hope of eternal glory. But now, now, Paul says, it's been disclosed to the saints. Now, saints here, by the way, isn't talking about a football team. It's not some kind of special holy people. It's talking about the original Jewish Christians because that's who the original message was first sent to. So the message was given to the saints and the saints then had the job of passing the message on to the Gentiles, that is to non-Jewish people like most, most of the Colossians were. Anyone here Jewish? Yay, there's one. One of the chosen race, <laughs> the original chosen race. See, when my husband preaches, because his mother's family are Jewish, he can say, right, the, the message first came to my people. Then it went out to the Gentiles. Very few people could say that. So welcome, sister. Glad you're here. So the Jewish people 
were the original recipients of the message, and then it was the Italians and the Greeks and everyone else, even the Aussies. We're all invited in. The Gentiles are invited in. You don't believe me? Verse 26, the word of God in all its fullness, which is, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has made, has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. So the Lord's people there is the word for saints. So it's to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, because all the disciples were Jewish, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In 2012, my husband Jeff discovered Scandinavian crime fiction. Has anyone ever read any of it? Anyone into it? Another crazy person here, right? Good one. Now, pretty much straight away, my husband was hooked. And he's now read dozens and dozens of Scandinavian and other European crime novels. I'm thoroughly bored by them. But he loves the darkness, says something about my husband, the cynicism, the pessimism, right? And he loves that what starts out as a complete fog slowly becomes clear. Gradually, the mystery is revealed. He actually loves the suspense, right? I love Googling the ending of every book and every movie. Just tell you a little story. I went to a Bible, I went to a movie once with my whole Bible study group. We're all in a line, 12 of us, right? And I was sitting next to a girl who suffers from anxiety. And she and I were like this, right? And she goes, I'm going to the toilet, that's it. And I said, sit down, sit down. I'm going to Google the ending. So I Googled the ending of that movie, Brooklyn, I won't tell you. And the rest of the 10 women are going, stop it, you two, you're spoiling the movie. Anyway, that's the kind of person I am. But my husband loves the suspense, right? But the thing is, for all the dozens of crime fiction novels that he's read, I've noticed that he never reads them twice. It's not like people who love, you know, Anne of Green Gables and they read them, you know, 50 times. Oh, and they cry every single time they get to where Matthew dies, you know. Oh, I hope you haven't not read that book. <laughs> right. So, but the thing is, he never reads these crime fictions more than once, right? So we spent the whole of our long service leave in 2012, three months, right, in the city of Florence in Italy. I know it sounds romantic, but there's sinners over there too. It's all normal, right? So when Jeff discovered an Italian crime novel set in Florence, he quickly went and got it, right? And he loved it. Straight away, when he finished it, he started reading the sequel, right? And as he usually does, he started reading at night, and he just managed the first chapter, and the next morning, he grabbed what he thought um, was the sequel, right? And he, and he took it with him, and he, he, he picked it up at chapter two. And as he read, he thought, I'm sure I've read this before, I already know what's happening, and as it turned out, he'd actually picked up the wrong book, and he picked up the book that he'd already finished, right? And so, of course, he didn't want to read it anymore. It's not like Anne of Green Gables where you keep reading it, right? Because he'd already read it. And why didn't he want to read it anymore? Because he'd already knew the full story of, of the first book. He didn't want to read it again, because he'd got everything he needed from that book. The mystery had been revealed in full. And Paul says it's a bit like that with Jesus, you see. The mystery has been fully revealed. 
There's no secret other message that you've got to get to be a fully-fledged Christian. If you've heard the message about Jesus, you've got the full story. And there's nothing else that you need. And here's what else Paul says. God equips the message, the messenger, with all the wisdom that he needs to pass on that message accurately. Now, which messenger am I talking about? He says that God gave Paul all the wisdom that he needed to get the message about Jesus out there. There's no lack of wisdom in his preaching of the gospel. Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone how? With all wisdom. The messenger has all the wisdom he needed to pass on the gospel faithfully. And the subject of the gospel doesn't need anything added to him either. Jesus is enough to make people perfect before God. Nothing else is needed. Through Jesus, you can be perfectly righteous before God. Verse 28, he's the one we proclaim. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. In Christ. And Paul also says that God has also given him the strength he needs to pass on the gospel. Verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul isn't slacking off. In fact, he's working hard to proclaim the gospel despite the suffering that it's causing him. And why? Why would someone do that? Why would he do that? It's because the gospel can give people all the treasures they need. The gospel gives people full riches, complete understanding and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You think about it. You see, the gospel that Paul is suffering for isn't an inadequate gospel. He isn't suffering to put out half the story. No, Paul is suffering because the message about Jesus is all people need to be saved and be put right with God. Now, I've just told you all of that, but you don't need to believe me. Have a look with me. Chapter 2, verse 1. It's all there. You know, Paul, so many things in like one line. Have a read with me. 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, another city, and for all who have not met me personally. Like, amazing. He's not just contending for the people that he's heard about, even the people who are never, ever going to meet him personally. That includes you and me, by the way. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. He's already explained what the mystery is. It's Jesus, isn't it? Namely Christ. Who is this Christ? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Add that to your list and understanding of who Jesus is. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. Do you know, I'm reading this book at the moment about uh, a Japanese uh, philosophy, a way of thinking about health and life. And I don't know if you know, but on the island of Okinawa, uh, which is southern island of Japan, um, it's one of the blue points in, in our world, in our, you know, all the, all the different countries in the world. There's five blue points. Uh, where people live to 100, the most amount of people live to 100. Okinawa is one, and the island my dad comes from, Sardinia in Italy, is another one. So they have the highest proportion of people who live over 100. And it tells you all the things you should and shouldn't eat, and the philosophy you should have in your mind, and rah, 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 rah. And you know what? You read books like that, or you read health magazines, or you go to the gym, or whatever, and everyone has the secret for longevity. Read Facebook. It's everywhere, right? Read Instagram. Those Every time I get one of those ads, I go, report ad, spam, right? This is so annoying, isn't it? But apart from anything else, it's just wrong. Like, sure, there is wisdom. God has graciously, in his grace, given us the ability to understand the world and our bodies and how they work and so on. But you know what? Nothing tops Jesus because no drug, no vitamin, no gym, no sport, no nothing, no bloke out there has, apart from Jesus, the wisdom and knowledge, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Man, put that in your CV. We've got to keep coming back to that, haven't we? Jesus. Jesus is the one we need to spend all our energy getting to know because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge but revealed to us. In this section, Paul is working hard to show the Colossians that the gospel of Jesus is everything they need. And he makes the point over and over and over again, probably more beautifully than I ever could, definitely more beautifully than I could, in different ways. Basically, he's just saying the same point. And here's why we've got to keep stressing the point. Here's why we need to keep assuring each other and why Paul needs to assure the Colossians they've got the full story, they've got everything that they need. Why? Well, A, because we trick ourselves, and B, because there are people out there telling us and telling the Colossians fine-sounding arguments, spiritual arguments, holy arguments, arguments that make it sound like you're missing out unless you do X, Y, or Z. Arguments that if you don't go to this conference, you're not going to be made to feel like the princess of the king. And you know what it does? It undermines your faith in Christ. It undermines your confidence that Jesus is all that you need to save you. And, and this is what Paul says. He's saying, I'm telling you this so that they won't trick you. I'm telling you this from my prison cell because you're so far away and I do not want to risk you falling away from Jesus. I want you to stick with the genuine gospel. Stay firm. It says it there in verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And he's just so beautiful, Paul. I can't wait to meet him. Listen to the way he says it. And delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith 
in Christ is. It's like, you know, when you tell your child or you tell a friend when they're doing an exam or, you know, they've got a challenge they've got to meet and you go, I'm looking forward to seeing you behave really well this afternoon at the afternoon tea. It's a way of saying, you can do it and raising the bar positively instead of saying, if you don't behave well at afternoon tea this afternoon, right? It's a bit like that, isn't it? He's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just so delighted to see that you're going to listen to my message and you're going to be disciplined and you're going to be firm in Christ. That's his hope. So can you see what's here in this section of Paul's letter to the Colossians? He's saying the original gospel that they heard from Epaphras is the true gospel. It's the same gospel that all the other churches are hearing and it's the same gospel that Paul is suffering in jail for. You know, this gospel is so amazing and, and Paul is so confident in this gospel that he doesn't mind suffering for it. I mean, it's like, have you ever read those, you know, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, apologetic kind of arguments? Why would you suffer for something that's a lie? Why would you suffer for something that doesn't achieve its purpose? He knows that the gospel can save, he's 100% sure, and so as a result, he's willing to suffer for it. Just a little aside, I want to tell you a story that I often tell the women in my Bible study every year, and if they've been in my group before, I'm sure they roll their eyes. It's like a dad joke. Oh, here she goes again telling that story. But it's true. Have you ever met a woman who sells Enyo? Maybe you're one. Or Tupperware. Or whatever the latest thing is that people sell, Thermomix, right? Have you ever met women like that? They are amazing. Do you know why? They 100% believe in their product, don't they? They never get sick of talking about it. If they're selling Thermomix, every conversation will end up with, it's just like Thermomix, Thermomix can do this, Thermomix can do that, because they believe in their product, don't they? The thing that I say to the women in my group is, how come we don't believe in the gospel in the same way? How come they're not ashamed to talk about a piece of cloth with the fibres in a certain direction? That you, I hate that you don't do it. I like the smell of Pinoclean, right? But they believe in their product and they will talk you down. They will come at it from every angle because they 100% believe their product will do what they are telling you it will do. Are we like that about the gospel? Maybe not, but Paul is, isn't he? He's 100% sure that that gospel that they are preaching is the full gospel that can save people. And that's why he's willing to suffer for it. The Enya woman is willing to be ridiculed by her friends because she believes in that product. What about us? But more importantly, what Paul's saying here to the Colossians is, if you stick with the message that you heard from Epaphras, if you stick with the gospel that I'm proclaiming, and for us, of course, it's the gospel contained in the scriptures, if you stick with that message, you've got everything you need. And so don't be tricked by anyone who's telling you anything different. Put your thinking brains on. Analyze what you hear out there and compare it to the scriptures. Compare it to the full gospel message contained in the Bible. Now you think about it for a moment. Let me ask you this question. It's the same question I ask my kids every day. Only this time, 
there's more at stake than a lunchbox. Do you have everything you need? When it comes to God, I'm not saying you shouldn't get medical help if you need it. I'm not saying you shouldn't get counselling if you need it. I'm not saying that you should get a personal trainer if that's what you want. But when it comes to God, do you have everything you need? Do you believe that? When it comes time that you are facing your death, and it will come to us all unless the Lord Jesus returns, do you have everything you need? When it comes to facing whether you will end up in heaven or in hell, do you have everything you need? Like it or not, there is a God, a God who lovingly made us. This God gives us everything we have. If you're wealthy, your wealth didn't come about through your hard work. If you live in Australia rather than in a slum in India, it's because God put you here. If you're tall like I long to be, it's because God made you tall. If your parents are still married after 50 years of marriage, it's because God has allowed you to live in that family. God gives you everything you have, life itself. And this God deserves and, in fact, demands our love and our obedience and our worship. And even more than that, you know what? He longs to be in relationship with us. And the reality is that none of us give God the love and obedience that he deserves. None of us love him perfectly. We actually made ourselves God's enemy. And the day is soon coming when we do have to stand before him and give account. You know, your friends might ridicule you for believing in this God. Your friends might ridicule you that you trust in Jesus. And if your friends don't ridicule you, maybe it's because you don't speak about Jesus enough. But the day is soon coming when even those friends will have to stand and give account. And you know what? The worst thing that could happen is if I left here today and you didn't hear the warning, the warning that is implicit in what Paul is saying here. Because I don't want the day that the Lord Jesus returns to be a bad day for you. Or for me. I don't want it to be a day that comes as a surprise to you. Because there is a way of being safe from the judgment that God will bring in on that day. The judgment where you will spend the rest of eternity away from everything that is good and God himself. There's a way to be safe. And the way to be safe to be, as Paul said in chapter 1, verse 22, to be holy in God's sight, considered blameless, without blemish and free from accusation from God. And it's by trusting that Jesus took your place on the cross, that he took the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin. That is the only way to have peace with God. And it's very simple what you need to do. You need to just acknowledge your failure. I need to acknowledge my failure and actually trust that Jesus' death has paid the price. 
And not only that, you see, how is it that you will live forever? Well, you look to the resurrection of Jesus. My husband was brought up in an atheist family despite the fact that his mother's family are Jewish. Because of the Holocaust, because most of his family were killed in the Holocaust, his parents are atheists. But at university, while he was studying law, someone said to him, well, how can you reject what you haven't researched? Good question, that one. And he researched it and decided that on evidence, the resurrection of Jesus has to be real. If you're not there yet, then please research it. Make an informed decision and you will see that Jesus, the only conclusion you can come to from the eyewitness testimony in the Bible is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, then he's saying, if you trust me, I will give you eternal life when he comes back. A few years ago, my cousin died at the age of 37. In January, she had a melanoma removed. In September, she was dead. And she had a little boy then who was seven years old. And uh, I went one day to the hospital when the bad news had come that she wasn't going to survive. And against me going, I know you won't want to hear this. No, I do want to hear it. I know you won't want to know whether there's a prayer you can pray. No, I do want to know. I know you won't want to pray the prayer. Actually, I do want to pray. And I know, will you just tell me, she said. And she became a Christian. And she's the only one in my family who's a Christian, my mum and dad maybe. But do you know what? I said to her, if you hadn't got this cancer, would you have believed in God? And she said, I wasn't interested in God. This is the only thing that sent me here. But the thing that turned it around for her was she realised this life can't be all there is. Because if it is, what a terrible life that we just die and rot in the ground. But Jesus is saying, there is more to this life, but if you want to live eternally happy, then put your trust in me to forgive all your sin and make you friends with God. It's my greatest prayer for every single one of you and for me. It's my greatest prayer for my kids. My year 12 boy is doing the HSC this year, whatever your equivalent is here. And people say to me, is he studying? Well, my year 12 boy, basically, if his body didn't breathe for him, he would die, because that's how chilled he is. But you know what? He's doing crash, and he goes even when he's got an exam the next day. And he's leading the student group, the Christian group at school. You know what I want more than anything for him? I don't care about his ATAR at the end of the day. Of course I mind. You know, I don't want him to sit on his backside all the time. Of course I want him to get into university if that's where he wants to go. But you know what? At the end of the day, actually, if you trust in Jesus, that's all that matters. That is my highest priority for each one of my children. It's hard to live out especially given our congregation is 90% Asian, right? And ATAR is very important. They all get tutoring. I can see some of the Asian people laughing because they're all tiger mothers. Believe me, Italians are the same. But actually, you have to keep coming back to what is this life about? What is this life about? On your deathbed, I am not going to be going, you should have studied more to my children. I should have bought that convertible earlier before I got dementia. It's, not, it's just not going to be it. What's, what's really going to be on your mind is, Lord Jesus, make it quick and take me there soon, right?
Paul's got his priorities right here. He cares that no one takes the Colossians away from the only message that can save them. And so this is what I want to say to you. If you don't have everything you need to face Jesus when he returns or at your death, then please make that day today, the day that you consider where you stand before God. I can talk to you. The person sitting next to you can talk to you. Now, if you are relying on Jesus, then here's the thing. Don't let anyone trick you into thinking you don't have everything that you need. You do. You have everything that you need to be perfectly right with God. I see this all the time. I recently heard that some women went to a very famous conference run all over the world now by a particular brand of Christianity, which I won't name, that has two very famous people as its head that produces lots of songs. And at that particular women's conference, they celebrated communion, the Lord's Supper. At the end of that conference, the person who shall remain nameless gave out communion and then gave them an extra cup for extra healing when they get home. Now, I wasn't there, but I heard it from someone who was there. That is deceptive teaching that will lead you astray. You do not need an extra cup of the Lord's Supper for healing. Now, she may be talking about if an extra kind of physical healing, but God doesn't even promise us that. What he does promise us is healing in our relationship with God. You know the other way that evangelical Christians trick themselves in this way? I am totally into reading your Bible every day. If you ever want to get me down for a seminar on that, I'm happy to come because I believe in eating chocolate while you eat, read your Bible. <laughs> because then you can just read your Bible all day and eat chocolate all day, right? But I am not into feeling closer to God because you have read your Bible. That is not what makes you close to God. You are 100% perfectly in relationship with God because of Jesus. It's like being married. I'm 100% married to Jeff today, despite the fact that I probably won't talk to him because he doesn't own a mobile phone. I know, he's a minister and he doesn't have a mobile phone. It's possible. But do you see the point? I, I probably won't talk to him today. And if I do talk to him, I'm no less or more married to him, am I? That is what it's like with God. It doesn't mean that we don't talk to our husbands. Of course we do. But do not be led astray that you have to do X, Y, Z. You have everything that you need because Jesus fully paid the price so that you can be perfectly right with God. Does everyone understand the point? When my husband sometimes drives me to the airport... He says to me constantly, because he treats me like one of the kids on this front, he says to me, have you got everything you need? And I go, yes. Have you printed the tickets for me? And he goes, yes, they're on my desk. <laughs> and so we have to turn around and go back and get them. I always love it when it, because, you know, sort of turns the question around on him, right? But forgetting your plane ticket, I know nowadays you can have it on your phone, right? But let's go back to olden days, right, when you had to print it out. But forgetting your plane ticket could have been a disaster because I wouldn't have everything I need. But you know what? Here's the way to put it. Without faith in Jesus, you don't have everything you need. 
But if you have trusted in Jesus, then Jesus has done it all for you. You have everything you need to be perfectly right with God. And you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you've got a Bible degree or not a Bible degree. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter how sinful you think you are. There's no sin that Jesus can't forgive. It doesn't matter how unwell you are. It doesn't matter how strong you feel in your faith. If you're trusting that Jesus has fully paid the price for your sin, you have everything you need. And so, what's Paul's message to you? Stay where you are. Don't add to Jesus. Don't subtract to Jesus. Don't rely on anyone else. Don't rely on anything else. Stand firm. Because in Jesus you have everything you need. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Paul and his great wisdom. Thank you for the way that he suffered for this true gospel. And we're very conscious that we are weak in many, many ways. Some of us here feel like we don't understand enough. Some of us here feel like we read the Bible and there's just so many questions that we have. And all those things are true. You do want us to be good studiers of the Bible. You want us to dig deeper and understand the kinds of things we've been learning today. But help us never be deceived into thinking that our knowledge is what saves us. Please help us to remember that Jesus has done it all. And that if we're trusting in what he's done, then we have everything we need with you. And we do thank you for the wonderful saviour that Jesus is, the complete, loving, giving, gracious, merciful saviour. Help us never to look beyond him. We pray that we might keep our eyes firmly fixed on him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.